turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains why we sing to the Lord. When our eyes are open to the beauty of God's character, to the everlasting nature of God's love, to the price attached to it in the sending of His Son. When we see how amazing His grace is, how wonderful His love is, it's only natural that we will praise that which we enjoy. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy quotes C.S. Lewis, who said, We tend to praise what we enjoy. It's true, isn't it? We praise those we love. We praise our favorite sports teams, even our favorite restaurants and vacation spots. So it only goes to follow that when we love God, our voices rise up to worship and adore Him. So today we're seeing how God's grace enters into our praise, uniting us with the heavenly chorus. Here's Philip with a message that will inspire you to join the song. When someone finds Christ, they, along with Christ, find their voice. When someone finds Christ, they, along with Christ, find their voice. They automatically become a loud mouth for the gospel. You can see that at salvation. At salvation, they find their voice. Because Romans 10, verse 9 tells us that we're not only to believe with our hearts, we're to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. So at salvation, they find their voice in confession. And after salvation, they find their voice in celebration. As they come to understand the magnitude of God's mercy, the breadth and depth of God's work in their life, the promise of heaven, that Christian begins to worship God and praise God. At salvation, they find their voice in confession. But after salvation, they find their voice in celebration, in worship, and in praise. Psalm 118 verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Anyone that has experienced salvation will sing, will worship, will praise. When a man or a woman experiences the grace of God, they not only want to talk about it, they want to sing about it. Doesn't David tell us that in Psalm 40, verse 3, having spoken about how God redeemed his life? He says that God has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Listen, I want you to think about this. God is too great. His love is too wonderful. And His grace is too amazing for you and I simply to talk about it. Now, we love to talk about it. 
We love to share the gospel. We love to tell people our testimony of God's saving grace and God's keeping power. But we also realize talking about it is not enough. We want to sing about it. We want to worship God. We want to extol His love and His mercy and His grace. That's why wherever you find Christians, you'll find singing. Read church history, and you'll realize in the early Methodist movement, you could tell a Methodist home in the community because singing was heard from it. Wherever you find Christians, you'll find singing. Because according to the psalm, Psalm 34, verse 3, let us exalt His name together. It's natural that we move from experiencing God's salvation to expressing our love for Him in song. Because as C.S. Lewis says, we tend to praise that which we enjoy. If you read C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he says something very profound. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's his appointed consummation. When you enjoy something so much, you tend to praise it. You tend to move from just talking about it to praising it. In fact, he goes on to kind of explain his thought. The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praise the countryside. Players praise their favorite game. Praise of weather wines, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneous praise whatever they value, They spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that's magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of that which they care about. C.S. Lewis is helping us understand the phenomena of Christian worship, praise, and singing. And you understand that by understanding that when our eyes are open to the beauty of God's character, to the everlasting nature of God's love, to the price attached to it in the sending of His Son, when we see how amazing His grace is, how wonderful His love is, it's only natural that we will praise that which we enjoy. And not only that, we'll ask others to come along for the ride. Come, let us exalt His name together. So what's my point by way of introduction? It's pretty simple. When you find Christ, you find your voice. When you become a Christian, you become a loud mouth for the gospel. You like to talk about it, but then you realize talking about it's not enough. You like to sing about it. Now, admittedly, let's get this out of the way. We're all meant to sing. That's what God has called us to do. But some of us are good at it, and some of us are not so good at it. As I heard my pastors say once back in Northern Ireland, when it comes to a congregation, there are nightingales and there are gales in the night. (laughs) And given that reality, here's what I would suggest. We've all got to sing, every single one of us, in tune, out of tune. 
We've all got to sing, but given the fact that some of us are out of tune rather than in tune, some of us only should sing with a microphone. Amen? In fact, Gary Peterson, one of our men who's involved in our prison ministry, told me a story one day. He was over in Chino Hills sharing the gospel with some of the inmates. And during the service, he was up front in front of the microphone and the stand. And he got into a kind of zone. And as they were singing, he had his eyes closed, his hands up. And after he had finished kind of that moment, he opened his eyes and the microphone was 10 feet away. (laughs) Some prisoner had got up and actually moved the thing 10 feet away. Now, you could conclude that that's a prank. I think it was, Gary, sing, but don't sing with a microphone. Because only some of us can sing with a microphone. But we've all got to sing. He has put a new song in our mouths, even praise unto our God. God is our strength, and God is our song, and God has become our salvation. So, I want to help you and me sing better, if not sweeter. And so, I want to turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. What I want you to see, this text we're about to look at, I'll read it here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. I want you to understand that what we have in this simple verse is a rare window, a rare peek into the worship experience of the New Testament church. What we have here is a worship update on how those early believers worshipped God. Now, for the purpose of our series, I want you to see that here we have singing grace. We have set out to understand that grace not only meets us at the beginning of our Christian life, it's there in the middle, and it will be there at the end, and we'll experience more of it beyond the end. It's all grace. It's total grace. There's saving grace, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. There's strengthening grace, Hebrews 4. There's speaking grace, Colossians 4. There's serving grace, Romans 12. And here you have singing grace. When the grace of God touches a man's life, when the grace of God transforms a woman's heart, singing is the result. The Christian is a person who sings with grace in their heart. Now, you may have a translation, actually, that renders that singing with thanks in your heart to the Lord. But I think the New King James has got it right, because although it's not to be seen in our English version, in the Greek text, there's a definite article associated with the word kairos or grace. So Paul is saying, sing with the grace that's in your hearts to the Lord. Grace is the context out of which our praise ascends to God. Our inner experience of grace manifests itself in song. We sing of grace because of grace. We delight in the grace of God and songs bubble to the surface of our hearts. Now, before we look at the text, let's put it quickly in its context. That's why I read from verse 12 to 17. Because in this section of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's dealing with the conduct of the new man in Christ. Because if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Trust in Christ leads to transformation in Christ. And what you have in this passage, in fact, beginning at the early parts of chapter 3 is a contrast between the old life before we became a Christian and the new life now that we are a Christian and the changes that should happen in the life of those who have embraced the gospel. 
You can see in verse 6 that he talks about their life prior to their coming to Jesus Christ, when indeed they were sons of disobedience, and they walked and conducted themselves after fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. But notice verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Verse 10, and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're given a new nature. We're given new affections. God reorients our lives where we begin to pursue righteousness and follow Jesus Christ. And we put off that old behavior, and we put on this new behavior, not in self-will, but by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Paul takes the image of someone changing their clothes. You can imagine a man coming in from a factory where he's worked among dirt and grime, and his clothes are filthy. We've got images perhaps of the old days and the coal miners coming home and they put off that dirty overall and they got charred and put on some clean clothes. And Paul's kind of taking that image and he's saying, you know what? You put off that dirty behavior, that behavior that indeed was against God's will and God's Word. And now that you're a Christian with the help of the Holy Spirit and through the instruction of God's Word, here's the kind of behavior you need to put on. This is the before and after pictures of the Christian life. I had an old pastor back in Northern Ireland who used to say, if there's no change, there's something strange. If someone tells you they're a follower of Jesus Christ, but they go on living in sexual sin, they go on behaving in a manner outside the will of God, they go on deliberately disobeying the law of God and the teachings of Jesus Christ. They're not a Christian. Because Christians put off vice, and they put on virtue. Not perfectly, but progressively and permanently. And so that's where we're at in the text. See, Christ forgives people, but He fixes people. He forgives you your sin, and then He starts to give you an ability through the Spirit of God not to repeat that sin. He not only forgives, He fixes And so alongside these virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love, Paul then says in verse 15, put on or let the peace of God umpire your hearts. And alongside that, our text, let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. And as the word of Christ dwells in a Christian's heart richly, it produces in them a song where they sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in their hearts to the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 54 says, Your statutes have become my song. See, as you and I study the Bible, and the Word of God does its work in our lives, it produces worship. We move from the Word to worship. That's where we're at in our text. So let's come and look at the text regarding the grace of singing or singing with grace. We're going to see singing and the Scriptures. We're going to see singing and the saints. And we're going to see singing and the Savior. But here's the first part, singing and the Scriptures. There's a correlation between us singing and worshiping God and an intake of God's Word. 
Your statutes have become my song. Look at the text. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Let's look at this phrase, the word of Christ. Now, in its narrow and historic interpretation, we may want to limit this to the writings of the apostles in the Gospels, where they write down and record the things that Jesus said and did. Jesus told them, didn't he, in the upper room discourse, John 14, 26 and John 16, verse 13, that the Spirit of God would help them write down an accurate record of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's a narrow interpretation. I think there's a broader interpretation that doesn't do injustice to that thought, but just widens it and broadens it. And it's the idea that this phrase, the Word of Christ, embraces the whole of the Bible the whole of the Bible. I like what Derek Tidball says in his commentary on Colossians. He says this, The Word of Christ refers to the teaching of Christ, which we have recorded for us in the Gospels. But a full understanding of the teaching of Christ can only be obtained by reading the Gospels in the context of the Old Testament, which leads up to them, and the rest of the New Testament, which leads away from them. In other words, this is shorthand for speaking about the whole of the Bible with a special emphasis on the words of Jesus living in us. See, the Old Testament leads up to the Gospels, and the book of Acts and the epistles and the Revelation, they flow out of the Gospels. So I think when we read here about the Word of Christ, we're dealing with the whole of the Bible in relation to the message of God's love in Jesus Christ. I've said it before, in the Old Testament, He is coming. In the Gospels and in Acts, He has come. In the Epistles, in Jude, and in the Revelation, He's coming again. The Bible is a hymn book. It's an H-I-M book. It's about Him. In fact, didn't Jesus reiterate this on the road to Emmaus when a couple of His disciples are at a loss to understand the seeming loss of Jesus Christ by death on a cross? And Jesus comes to them. He opens their eyes. He talks with them along that road. And He helps them understand that this needed to happen. And in Luke 24, 25 to 27, you've got those well-worn and well-known words. And beginning at Moses, that's the Pentateuch, and the Psalms and the prophets, He spoke of those things concerning Himself and how He needed to suffer. In John 5, 39... He talks about the Scriptures and how they speak of Him. When Paul writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, he talks about how he has known the Scriptures from he was a child, which has been able to make him wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is the Scriptures Timothy heard. And those Old Testament Scriptures had the Gospel in them. So the word of, of the words of Christ recorded in Scripture. But I think in a broader sense, it's the whole of the Bible. The Old Testament leads up to the Gospels. And then the epistles and the Revelation come out of the Gospels. Let's look at this other phrase, dwell in you richly, as we're just trying to get our heads and hands around the text. Let the word of Christ, let the word of God, let the Bible, let the Scriptures dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Literally, let the Word of God take up residence in your life. 
This word dwell is a domestic word. It means to make a home, to settle down. And so this is what we're being told here. Let the Word of God, through the preaching of that text, take residence in your heart. May the Scriptures find a ready-made home in your heart. It speaks about the fact that a Christian is someone who's always hospitable to the Word. Meet a Christian, and you'll meet a person who wants the Bible, who wants to sit under preaching, who wants to sit down themselves and study it for themselves, who likes to be in a group of Christians discussing the text of Scripture. Because a Christian is someone whose heart is hospitable to the Word of God preached and taught. That's what is being taught here. In fact, that's echoed, isn't it, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 and 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, as Paul describes how the gospel took root in the city of Thessalonica in Greece. He says this in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Listen, and you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. In fact, he pays them a great compliment down in chapter 2 and verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And again, this is a description of a New Testament Christian. The New Testament Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, is a man or a woman who welcomes the opportunity to hear the Word and then welcomes the Word heard. That word welcome, it speaks about welcoming somebody warmly into your home. And when you're excited about someone coming to your home, either a friend or a family member, you know they're coming. When the bell rings or the door is wrapped, you open it. And what do you normally Come on in! We've been waiting for you. You've been looking forward to this. The cattle's on. Sit down. Come on in. That's our word. Paul is saying, you know what I give thanks to God for? This cost, you you received this in much affliction. But when you heard the word of God, you welcomed it. You said to God's word, come on, come on in to my life. Sit down, teach me, and transform me. That's what's going on in this text where we pray, we fellowship, and we hear the Word of God. It's as simple as that. When we find Christ, we find our voice. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Today's message called Join the Song from our Total Grace series. Catch up on previous messages you might have missed when you go to ktt.org. Online, you'll also find the Know the Truth listener survey. Be sure to let your voice be heard because, after all, this is your ministry. Well, today, Philip reminds us that it's grace that calls us to Christ, grace that calls us to change, and grace that calls us to sing. At Know the Truth, we're delivering messages like today so you can develop biblical confidence to lean on God's wisdom and grace to fuel your life of faith. It's why we began this Bible teaching ministry more than eight years ago, taking the teaching of Philip DeCourcy outside the church walls where more men and women can hear and respond to God's truth and grace. Help us continue this ministry in your community when you make a generous donation online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. 
And when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you a book titled Grace-Focused Optimism by C.L. Chase. Get ready to infuse your soul with God's life-giving, soul-satisfying grace. This book explores how grace frames our everyday lives. Request your copy of Grace-Focused Optimism when you make a generous donation to Know the Truth. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And when you visit our website, you'll notice we're offering a free CD message from Philip called A New Beginning. It's the first message from this brand new Total Grace series. Request the free message when you call 888-644-8811. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. There's more bold Bible teaching coming up next time when Philip continues to look at the many facets of God's total grace. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Considering a private school for your child, but you may have missed the last open house? Well, here's good news. Fairfax Baptist Temple Academy has a pre-spring open house on January 22nd. They're offering tours of the campus for parents to see firsthand the outstanding departments featuring athletics, academics, music, and more. Fairfax Baptist Temple Academy provides the tools, resources, and a framework of faith grounded in the Word of God. Call the school for tour times to meet the faculty, administrators, and students. Call 703-323-8100. Teachers are available to work one-on-one with parents to help their child meet their full potential. Fairfax Baptist Temple Academy is now enrolling children for fall classes in K-4 through 4th grades. You can get a personal tour of the school on January 22nd by calling 703-323-8100 or go online to fbtministries.com. Questions? Call today, 703-323-8100, or go to wava.com, keyword education. Everybody's making...